Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Armchair Survivalist. My name is Kurt Wilson. I'm the Armchair Survivalist, and today is September the 20th in the year 2020. So it is 9-20-20-20. Okay. Anyway, welcome to the show. If you go to armchairsurvivalist.com and you scroll down to the bottom of that page, you're going to see all the ways to listen to me. Obviously, you know at least one because you're listening to me right now. Name an app and I'm on it. Stitcher, Anchor, YouTube even, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Pandora Radio, Google. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, there's so many of them down there. I didn't need to, to go through them all. And that's, again, armchairsurvivalist.com. You just scroll down, you see it all. Global Star 3 Satellite, I'm on that. You can listen to my chat room. You can call on your phone and listen. Uh, that's area code 641-741-0371. Now, it's not toll-free. And sometimes you might have a phone company, uh, a service provider of yours, that doesn't like you listening on the, on the long uh, radio shows so they'll say this this phone number is not uh, accept, acceptable try another phone number and it'll give you another phone number to call meanwhile area code 641-741-0371 if you missed the show at the top of armchairsurvivalist.com kind of at the top you'll see a link in aqua that says listen 24 hours a day to the recent show of the armchair survivalist click here do that and you got it and that's good all week long until my next show if you want to download my shows for later listening, go to the left-hand side of the page. You'll see the little uh, white, a little kind of black and white nipper dog listening to the RCA Victor Gramophone. You click on that. That'll take you to a, so the, uh, a page, I'm sorry, the Armchair Survivalist Past Shows. And it lists all my shows for this current year. So you can download them from there. You can play them from there, what have you. Anyway, there's all kinds of different ways to listen to me. Let me get some news out of the way for my company, Survival Enterprises. We're at se1.us, survivalenterprises.com also. When I say SE, that means Samuel Edwards, the numeral one, se1.us. That's pretty much the smallest domain name you're ever going to find except aol.com. We have products coming and going because of the supply chain disruption all over the world. For a while, we had our Ultimate Daily Vitamins back in. These were gone since January. Well, they're gone again. And if you were thinking of buying one, you waited too long. Here's the thing that's happening right now. You don't have the option of thinking to, about something. You don't have the option of wondering if about something. If there is something you need, and I don't care if it's our vitamins or your underwear or shoes or ammo or guns or cars or whatever, right now. I'm telling you, we have less than we have less than a month left before the Schumer hits the fan massively. It's it's things are are accumulating and aggregating, and we have in the United States, as I've said many times, we have two political parties, and these are more of philosophical parties. One is conservative, and the other is communist, and that's it. That's all you have. So the communists have been at, at on the attack now for about a year, and they're getting worse. Well, not for a year, more like a hundred years. But now they've been emboldened because they're every Democrat on the Hill, every Democrat congressman and woman and every Democrat senator are communists. And they are with them and attacking us. So you think you need something? Don't wait. Don't wait at all. Get it. And it's not just, again, it's not just for us, for survival enterprises. It's for you. I don't care what it is you think you're going to need. You better get off your butt and get it and, and justify the, the, the paying it. And another thing, I've had 
So many people tell me, yeah, we're just going to max out our credit cards because I know everybody's going to go tits up by the end of the year anyway. You know, on one hand, that's not ethical. And if you can't make the payments on it, don't do it. On the other hand, I'd never do it. But if it meant your life, if you can't get food any other way, you know, you're going to end up doing it. Right now, we're the United States is at the highest consumer credit amount that's ever been recorded in history because people are doing that with their credit cards. All right, now we're going to get into the economy. The and I've been warning about evictions, and so is everyone else. But I'm not talking about uh, you, me, and Joe Sixpack. I'm talking institutional evictions. Eviction filings are up hundreds and hundreds of percent. I, I, these are massive filings. These are like, like say, the mall here in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Well, when the uh, commie governor here decided to shut everything down, well, the mall shut down. So that means none of the people in the mall, uh, such as the fitness uh, organization, Macy's, Pennies, and all the other oddball places, they're not paying their uh, lease because they're not making any money. So the organization, the company that owns the mall, can't make its payments. These are institutional evictions. And that's not just that. There are office towers in New York City that have, I know one is that has 1,016 offices in it. Now, that doesn't mean there's 116 businesses in there. There's 106, There's 1,016 offices in there, and I think it's like a dozen different giant corporations. Well, the commie mayor in New York City ordered everyone home. So that building shut down. There's no money coming in to pay for that building. So the landlord is getting an eviction. This is massive. This is happening all over the, actually all over the world, but in the United States is all I care about. It is happening all over the United States. Now, institutional evictions are, have never been uh, a large amount. It's always been, like in one San Francisco, there might be like six in a year. No, this is, this is they're trying to keep it as secret as possible. They're trying to keep the data as, as uh, close to the vest as possible. Hotels, the hotels in everywhere but Wyoming are closing down. And they're permanent closures. And I'll tell you why in Wyoming, because Wyoming's having a, a, a surge of oil production. So the hotels in Wyoming, they don't have enough. I talked about that last year or a couple of years ago. I forgot. So hotels are facing this wave of permanent closures. You know what Yelp is? Yelp is a uh, internet website where you go to and you can read about different companies. You can find companies in your local area. And companies post on their, they get a little website there and they post on that website on Yelp. Uh, we're open today, we're closed tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. Yelp has done the data and it says 60% of the business closures due to this pandemic are not going to be opening up. So out of 100 businesses that filed they were closing, 60% of them are not going to be opening back up. That's, and that's happening here in Coeur d'Alene. I'm, I'm seeing this. We're seeing a lot of vacancies. We're seeing a lot of businesses that are gone. There's a strip mall that has all kinds of high-end eatery. Even the Golden Corral was in there. That's gone. Uh, Gabba Green is gone. There's there's half a dozen places gone in there. Just gone. People just pack up and leave in the middle of the night. They don't know what else to do. All right, now we've got to get into the food and health. There are a couple websites where you can go to and get the facts on this Wuhan virus. This is this is not lightweight. This is scientific proof and evidence that everything that we've been told and everything that's been happening to us and everything they're going to try down the road, including a vaccine, which is not going to work, 
is a bunk. And these, I have two websites. Now, every time I do a show, on my show note page, and you can find the link at armchairsurvivalist.com, I post all the places I talk about. So these two pages are going to be there. They're not pages, these, these two websites. They are the evidence. And this is the truth, verifiable, you'll see for yourself. Now, thousands of you in North Carolina, and this is, you're not the first, and you're not going to be the last. Thousands of you that they claimed you tested positive was false. It was, it was either, they're not sure yet. They're looking at criminal charges. They said that it was a, a false positive, but that's thousands and thousands of you. And I told you before on, on numerous other shows that the test that they're using to test for this COVID violence, uh, 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 virus is fraudulent. It doesn't work. It's, it wasn't designed to work for that. But that's not going to stop them from having positive tests. And then if you have any symptoms, such as a sniffle or a cough or a slight fever, they're going to put you in the hospital immediately. Do you know why? Because there was, and I consider it fraud, and so do a lot of people, the federal government has decided to pay every state X amount of dollars for every positive person, every positive COVID that they institutionalized that they put in their hospital you want to know how much money your state's getting paid on april 14th 2020 beckerhospitalreview.com published a report on the state by state breakdown of federal aid that hospitals received for each outbreak patient in april of 2020 health and human services began distributing the first 30 billion dollars of emergency funding Designated for hospitals in the CARES Act, some of the states hit hardest by the pandemic received less funding than states touched relatively lightly. The following is a breakdown of how much funding per outbreak patient each state received. Alabama, $158,000 per case. Alaska, $306,000 per case. Arizona, $23,000 per case. Arkansas, $285,000 per case. California, $145,000 per case. Colorado, $58,000 per case. Connecticut, $38,000 per case. Delaware, $127,000 per case. The District of Columbia, $56,000 per case. Florida, $132,000 per case. Georgia, $73,000 per case. Hawaii, $301,000 per case. Idaho, $100,000 per case. Illinois, $73,000 per case. Indiana, $105,000 per case. Iowa, $235,000 per case. Kansas, $291,000 per case. Kentucky, $297,000 per case. Louisiana, $26,000 per case. Maine, $260,000 per case. Maryland, $120,000 per case. Massachusetts, $44,000 per case. Michigan, $44,000 per case. Minnesota, $380,000 per case. Mississippi, $166,000 per case. Missouri, $175,000 per case. Montana, $315,000 per case. Nebraska, 
$379,000 per case. Nevada, $98,000 per case. New Hampshire, $201,000 per case. New Jersey, $18,000 per case. New Mexico, $171,000 per case. New York, $12,000 per case. North Carolina, $252,000 per case. North Dakota, $339,000 per case. Ohio, $180,000 per case. Oklahoma, $291,000 per case. Oregon, $220,000 per case. Pennsylvania, $68,000 per case. Rhode Island, $52,000 per case. South Carolina, $186,000 per case. South Dakota, $241,000 per case. Tennessee, $166,000 per case. Texas, $184,000 per case. Utah, $94,000 per case. Vermont, $87,000 per case. Virginia, $201,000 per case. Washington, $58,000 per case. West Virginia, $471,000 per case. Wisconsin, $163,000 per case. And Wyoming, $278,000 per case. U.S. Law Review's legal man stated, quote, Those numbers are from April 2020. Imagine how much they've expanded this crap. End quote. This is Nancy Morgan Hart. For headlines with a voice. Now, this category we're in now is food and health, all right? So there's there's some of the health part of it. I don't know if you guys saw this, but uh, in Australia, and I've mentioned some things that are happening in Australia. Australia is a totalitarian government. They claim they're a democracy. That's hogwash. Some years back, the communists were actually allowed to confiscate firearms. Remember Crocodile Dundee? Crocodile Dundee was a real person, and he lived in the outback. And when they started confiscating weapons, he's driving home. And three cops, three uh, actually, they were Australian Army, stopped him and said, uh, we, we are here to confiscate your rifle. He killed all three of them, but he got killed as well. This is Australia now. Australia is a totalitarian country because you don't have guns there. You can't stand up with a gun and say no. So what's happening is if you don't wear a mask, they will send out a quartet of police which will slam you to the ground and arrest you, and you disappear. The Ice Age farmer has uh, more to say on this this uh, this whole thing, and it's, it has more to do with the food than it does with the uh, what the police are doing. Stunning scenes from the Queen Victoria markets in Melbourne, where police were sent in, according to the report, to deal with one or two coronavirus protesters, but then summarily proceeded to push everyone out of the market. These are scenes literally from dystopic movies like Soylent Green, where the scoops were sent in to push people away as they were trying just to get food for their families. What is going on in Australia?
<laughs> and this is not the only example. There are other farmers markets where police were sent in and patrolling and people were pretty al- alarmed by this, not understanding why a police presence is suddenly required at a neighborhood farmers market. And there were no protesters there. Why are police suddenly being sent and using force at places where food is available in Australia? I would suggest that it has something to do with this report, and many like it. Warning, Australia is running out of rice, and may be completely out by Christmas. And furthermore, they're shutting down the beef industry right now. At the same time, Australia is a bellwether for the rest of the world as we watch our crops devastated by the grand solar minimum and exacerbated by a deliberate destruction of our food supply in order to take total control. Australia is facing a rice shortage with growing concerns the country could run out of local supplies before Christmas. Political reporter Olivia Leming is in Canberra. What's triggered the crisis, Olivia? Well, now the combination of factors, according to one of Australia's largest rice exporters, it's warned that while there'll still be imported rice products on our supermarket shelves by the end of the year, none of it will be Australian grown. The head of Sunrise says the drought and the way that water is allocated to farmers have led to one of the smallest rice crops this year in Australia's history. Earlier this year, the Prime Minister had to ring the President of Vietnam to ensure that Australia could still import rice from an Australian-owned factory over there after it banned rice exports to shore up local supplies. Yes, Australia running out of rice. We may be completely out by Christmas, and that's why the PM was on the phone with Vietnam earlier this year, making sure that even as they announced an export ban, because they needed to make sure that Vietnam could feed their own people, So we're going to just stop exporting. Even though we're the number one producer in the world, we're just going to stop exporting. And this is what we've been expecting as the conditions get worse and worse, as food shortages become more acute. Countries just stop. They just renege on their agreements. They declare force majeure or just don't even do it. Whatever it is, they say, we're not going to export you our food anymore because we got to feed our own people. This is what the UN or the food chain reaction game call pesky protectionist nationalist policies in the face of a global crisis. But it's a natural thing. And so when we see Australia saying, we're totally out of rice, we have nothing, we're now going to depend on imports from Vietnam and from other places. Just like two years ago, when there was a drought in Germany, they slid from a net exporter of grains to a net importer. They now depend on the rest of the world to feed them. And more and more of the world is sliding into this state of dependence on international trade. This is not a sustainable situation. We could have predicted this. In fact, we did talk about this. We could have predicted this problem with Australian rice due to the fact that the water allocations there have been so poorly managed. The government made a policy of putting priority to the most valuable crops, which meant that cotton got water instead of rice. And so this has been a situation building for years now. In last year, 2019, they had a very small rice crop due again because of the allocations. It is true that there are changing precipitative patterns due to the solar minimum. And then again, it's this problem reaction famine where the state intervenes and makes things worse. They're engineering 
food shortages right now. And so that's why this year, because of this terrible mismanagement of their water supplies, the rice farmers in Australia said, screw it. It's impossible to grow here without water. We're not even going to plant. 90% of the Australian rice growers neglected to even plant the grain this year. So of course they have a really low crop this year. Even though it has just started to rain, thank goodness, now they're expecting a little bit of a bounce on some of their other grains, but it's too late for rice right now. They're now wholly dependent and expected to run out by Christmas of Australian grown grains. As I mentioned, they're also shutting down their beef production. This release from JBS this week about a permanent reduction in their workforce at their largest beef processing plant in Australia. Formerly, the plant ran two shifts a day and then shut down during the pandemic because of outbreaks. But now they've been slowly trying to spin back up. They were staggering shifts for a bit. At this point, now they've decided to permanently lay off 600 people. That was the entire second shift. We read here, the plant's second shift has now been completely discontinued. We're now going to run the plant on a single shift five days a week. That means we're getting half as much done, half as much production out of this meat plant. Of course, they blame changes in the market conditions due to COVID-19 and even a reduced livestock supply, all of which is true. But the bottom line is that as we're seeing throughout the world, meat factories are being shut down and uh, this is causing tremendous and lasting impact on the production of protein. But that's all right, because more and more we're just seeing, as this new report from PBS says, we'll just turn our trash into food, this upcycled food. We'll use the insect-based protein that the UN has been pushing for years, and this new upcycled food making trash into food. That's how we're going to feed you going forward, because it's not going to be vegetables and fruits at farmers' markets anymore. No, police are going to be there. You know, this is really telling. When you are expecting to enter food shortages and lasting impacts to your food supply, you need to slowly get people used to the appearance of police at food distribution points. And that's why they're appearing at farmers markets right now without reason. It's because the reason is in the future. This is setting the stage for what they know is coming. They are preparing. And so too must you. Start growing food today. Start putting it aside, saving seeds, telling more than anything, telling people around you that this is coming. Because folks, it's getting ugly rapidly. And Australia offers us a glimpse, weeks, months perhaps, into the future. But everything we're seeing there is rapidly coming here. Please just running over and beating people in the streets because we need to get these people in line. We need to get them used to the fact that force will be used going forward, particularly at farmer's markets and grocery stores. When people go hungry, we lose the order in the streets. And for that, we need to brace with increased police presence. We're seeing that now. See, most people don't understand this. Two things. One, Australia is part of Asia. In Asia, two-thirds of the diet is rice. So when you hear news articles that say Vietnam doesn't have enough rice to export or uh, Australia doesn't even have, won't even have enough rice to eat in uh, a few months, this is big. This is not a lightweight thing. And now we're hearing this not just about rice, but we're hearing it about corn and about wheat and about soybeans in the United States and in Russia. The thing is, is that all of these particles of data are being kept in certain areas so that not everybody can see them. And I, I explain this. It's like I, I live in Coeur d'Alene, okay, Idaho. And so I don't know what's going on in Post Falls, which is 10 miles away. I get a few blurbs of things here and there. In fact, most people don't know what's going on with their next door neighbors. How are they supposed to know what's going on halfway across the world? 
And just so you know, there is a website that you can go to. It used to be, a, well, it's a CIA website, but it was put up uh, to help the uh, agents gather information about uh, different uh, uh, states, countries, locales, municipalities. It's called world-newspapers.com. You got that? Two words, world-newspapers.com. And it's cool. You go there, pick a country. You pick a country. Let's say you pick Africa. Okay, so then Africa, they have, you know, like 25 different locales that have newspapers. So you pick one of those. And that one might have five separate newspapers. And almost all of these newspapers worldwide are in English. Some are in the local language, but mostly they're in English. World-newspapers.com. You want to find out what's going on in a certain area? You go there and you check it out. Now, the, uh, the, the government itself, our all governments think that they're authority figures. And many people, in fact, most people worldwide have been brainwashed into believing the authority. Don't listen to anyone else. Just listen to the authority. As your trusted health authority, I'll share with you why you should be more scared than ever before. But first, there's been a new twist in the COVID crisis. We just published research on the CDC website that shows only 6% of COVID deaths that we've been reporting to you were caused by COVID alone. 94% of COVID deaths had an average of 2.6 comorbidities. That means of the 161,392 COVID deaths that we've been shoving in your face, only 9,210 were legitimate COVID deaths. So does that mean we've been deceiving you and inflating the COVID death count by 152,182 deaths? Absolutely not, because we genuinely don't believe in math. And does this new information that proves that COVID is far less deadly than we've been trying to get you to believe mean you shouldn't live with intense fear anymore? Absolutely not. As your trusted health authorities, we consider our original estimates of over 2 million COVID deaths in the U.S. to be a far more accurate number than the 9,200 deaths that have actually happened. And of the 9,210 deaths, 90% of them were in people of advanced age which means young people are at extreme risk because you never know when your age is gonna advance by multiple decades all at once. People finding this published information and spreading it around on social media wasn't part of our pandemic because it puts people at risk of not being scared to death of this statistically not very deadly disease. Luckily, we started running smear campaigns on the sources that are highlighting this dangerous fake news that's based on facts. Look for terms like conspiracy theories and fringe theories that we use to make these new statistics irrelevant and we're also having it censored on social media already for everyone's protection. And to help you further forget this new relevant information, we've also buried it on the CDC website. Good luck finding it. Only 6% of reported COVID deaths actually died from COVID? Now's a great time to discount people that speak of this new information with a well-thought-out, emotionally-charged comment rebutting something they didn't say. Like... Oh, so you're saying you don't even care about the people that did die of COVID? You're glad they're dead? You just want sick people to die? <laughs> 
Well, because they said nothing to indicate that. Your emotionally fueled abstract assumption is obviously a more accurate expression of what they meant than what they expressed. Now we plead with you not to use this new information as a rational basis to rethink the level of fear that you're living under because rethinking your thinking could cause you to change your mind. And changing your mind is uncomfortable and a potential cause of COVID because our science fiction is yet to prove otherwise. And new information is the new outdated information. So you'll wanna stay with the times. So why should you be more scared than ever before? Because statistically speaking, your chances of not dying from COVID are 99.96%. And that means if you're in the 0.04% that does die from COVID, you have a 100% chance of dying. Take a look at the numbers. And luckily that means we're still justified in trying to ruin your lives to save your lives. In an effort to do so, please pay close attention to the COVID death count that will continue to run across your screen for you. Look, here it is. And so you can stay under your warm, wet blanket of fear. We'll neglect to adjust the death count for accuracy with respect to this new information. And we'll also continue to take away your rights for your protection. And just like how a woman abused by your husband might say, he only hits me because he loves me. You can repeat, they're only taking away my rights to protect me. And you'll continue to surrender your rights because you're scared. Now that we've confused any clarity you might have been feeling on the new COVID death count information, you can go back to sleep. Now I'm going to go directly to the Trump category. We have our enemies within the gates. You've heard that term before. And I'll tell you what I, why I say that. Well, any idiot knows why I would say that. You know, Dr. Fauci, okay, the Jeffrey Goldberg, the editor of The Atlantic, and that's uh, that's the communist newspaper uh, magazine internet site that came out with a fake news article that alleged President Trump cruelly disparaged members of the U.S. military. Okay, anyway, they have a special event called the Atlantic Festival every year, and it's for these very powerful progressive thought leaders. So the two highest ones there, the progressive thought leader that we're going to speak was Hillary Clinton and Dr. Anthony Fauci. The rest of the, the progressive, now that's, that's a kind word for communist, Nancy Pelosi, Stacey Abrams, Bill Gates, uh, the communist leader of Black Lives Matter, okay? Fauci lets you know exactly he is the enemy. Uh, and also, for that matter, so is Mitt Romney. Now, who would you, what would you call an enemy? What would you call somebody who takes money for their political campaign from George Soros? Yeah, Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney is, is a low-life scum. He always has been. And he, until he gets out of the, uh, until he gets out of the uh, Senate, he's still going to be scum. Most of you text, right? You take your phone and you, and you send texts to people. Now, I said this before. Now, I have a link that you can go to and look at. We're all texts. Every single text you've ever seen is being saved by the NSA. Well, that's not much because every single text you've ever sent is also in the Library of Congress. I don't understand why people do this. I'm going to send you some secret information nobody knows. And then you send it in a text. You know, for crying out loud, give me a break. What is this crap? People can't be that dumb. These anti-Trump attacks are going to get worse and worse, uglier and uglier. Just, you guys, I always say at the end of every show, pay attention. Because they're going to get bad. Really, really bad. Let's see, the uh, the Trump campaign put a video together of all of the... Uh, and it wasn't the Trump campaign, it was just some people put a video together of Biden. All the different times that he t 
touched and stroked and sniffed all these young girls. Well, it got posted on Twitter, and Twitter banned it as child sexual exploitation. So Trump has accepted an invitation uh, by Joe Rogan, uh, a podcast host, for a live four-hour debate with Joe Biden. Trump said, sure, I can talk for four hours without a prompter. We'll see what happens with that. Last year, half of the 2019 donations to the communists, the Democrats, came from unemployed donors, quote-unquote. Half of the donations, now this is public knowledge, came from people who claim they're unemployed. So we, we don't know who these uh, these people are. And for that matter, we, we still don't know exactly who's running against Trump as the possible presidential contender. Seven weeks from today, Democrats hope to elect the Biden-Harris ticket. Or is it the other way around? A Harris administration together with Joe Biden as the president of the United States. That slip raised eyebrows, but it was made again today by Biden himself. Harris-Biden administration is going to relaunch that effort. And this is exactly what everyone has been saying for the past year or so. Biden is nothing more than a figurehead. He'll be gone before the first first six months. So this, whatever she is, we're, we're not quite sure. I know what she was because I was in California at the time that she was uh, working her way up the ladder, so to speak. This is the latest ad out of the Trump campaign. The, de- the Democrats are, are crying foul and saying it's fake news. It's not real. It's, we're going we're gonna to fact check it. <laughs> it's already been fact checked. Another night of violent protests. Violent protests are continuing across the country. Let's get one thing straight. Bringing Molotov cocktails to public gatherings is not a peaceful protest. Democrats invited it. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. And if you see anybody from that cabinet, Democrats encouraged it. When they go low, we kick them. That's what this new Democratic Party is about. Get them in the face of some Congress people. You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. It's Molotov cocktails and loaded rifle magazines and arson and assault and laser beams blinding police officers. Crowd turned on us. It was clear it was organized, and then a mob descended on us. It's no wonder. People are taken to the streets, and I support them. They're literally walking up and down the street, breaking every window they see. Violent anarchists have broken windows, destroyed fencing, graffitied buildings. The vast majority of the protests have been peaceful. Exercising your right to peacefully protest. Let's get one thing straight. The riots are not peaceful protests. Police were ambushed. A couple of bricks, there were a number of officers hurt. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. An elderly couple targeted because of their political views. Democrats bailed them out. New questions about who the Minnesota Freedom Fund is bailing out. Joe Biden's own staff contributed to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. That fund offered bail to serial rapists, murderers, and other violent criminals who are now back on the street. Kamala Harris encouraged her followers to contribute to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. And if Democrats take the Senate, they'll answer to the mob. They're not going to stop before Election Day in November, and they're not going to stop after Election Day. And they should not. These mass protesters are destroying anything they see. The violence and the vandalism are not peaceful protests. Say no to the mob. If you think we're rally or not, you ain't seen nothing yet. You won't know what hit you. 
For this show, because of the timing of what's happening and what's going to be happening, I've decided to uh, replay a show that I did, actually two shows, and I put them together. And what these are is how to buy a gun, how to buy a firearm. And I put them together. I edited them for content as much as I could, but you're going to get some duplicates uh, data out of there. But this is the accumulation of 30 years of buying firearms. Listen to it, and I hope it helps you, and I'll talk on the other side. Okay, so you've decided you want to buy a firearm. I'm going to tell you how to do it. There's more to buying a firearm than just saying, oh, I think I'll buy that gun. Everyone, if you aren't trained in handling firearms, I mean handguns and long guns, and a long gun is a long gun, like a gun that's longer, such as a shotgun or a rifle. Go get training. Any indoor range, gun range, anywhere in the United States will have an NRA certified instructor on staff or available at least one day a week. Go get trained. Get your NRA approved training. Get it out of the way. It's basically safety training and some functionality training. Well, first you have to determine your purpose. You're going to want to know. Let me back up here. Let me back up. Who the hell am I to tell you how to buy a gun? I was a master gunsmith for 25 years. I'm a certified weapons master. You can give me any firearm. I don't care what it is. Blindfold me. I'll tell you what it is. And I'll take it apart. Blindfolded. Might have a little difficulty putting it back together blindfolded, but I could still do it eventually. So I've got the bona fides. I know guns. And uh, the important thing here is what is your purpose? Why are you why do you want to buy a firearm? You want it for investment? Which they're great investments if you get the right ones. Too many of them are just simple generic crap. So if you want an investment firearm, you'll have to do your own research on that. There are very many different uh, variables out there. There are some Highly collectible guns like uh, 1800 Colt revolvers, commemorative Winchesters. There's there's a lot of different types. If it's more like in the realm of self-defense, hunting, or training, this is what you need to determine. And then well, it's not just that. It, you have to determine what do you want. You want a handgun? You want a rifle? You want a shotgun? Now, the best thing to do is try before you buy. Go to an indoor gun range. Find one locally that allows you to test the different types of firearms they have and you'll pick some up i had a friend that wanted a 454 casul he saw all the ads and it was going to be coming out soon this is a 45 caliber revolver it was in fact it was used by john candy in one of the uh, one of the uh, comedies that he was in it was the most powerful production handgun made in the world it was a 45 caliber round but it was the lengthier index finger this friend of mine because he's a badass he goes i want this gun i'm going to buy it it was 1800 dollars. he saved up his money and when it came out he bought it so i took it apart i polished the action up so it was smooth as cat snot and we went out to the range this this was funny so this guy's a biker right he's all muscle so he takes his handgun he gets in the perfect stance on a on the range right there he just he's ready and pulls the trigger and the gun flies over his shoulder directly into the garbage can it just it was so astounding it set off all the alarms because of the concussion that it did it set off all all the uh, alarms around the area and he was in shock well we pulled it out of there and he fired a few more rounds out of it and then i fired a couple rounds out of it and he said that's it i I can't handle this gun so you got to be able to handle the firearm and be comfortable with whatever firearm you get for whatever purpose and that's the important part so if you want self-defense you want close in do you want mid-range 
When I say close in, I'm talking front door just got kicked in by two thugs. When I say mid-range, you're driving along on the interstate and you see uh, uh, 100 yards in front of you, five or six thugs with guns ready to shoot you. So you want something with a little more range. If you have, uh, if you're, ha- if you're familiar with handguns, then you can go ahead and get yourself a semi-automatic weapon. That's fine because see, a semi-automatic handgun, you simply pull the slide back and release the slide, and a round is chambered automatically into the into the uh, barrel. And each time you pull the trigger, the slide comes back, ejects the spent casing on the way forward, grabs another round out of the magazine that's in the grip, and pushes it home into the barrel, ready for you to fire again. If you have to be able to understand how this functions, a semi-automatic handgun. Now, if it jams, most people will just stand there with this stupid look on their face, not knowing what to do. So you need to be familiar with the, with that weapon. A revolver is different. It is idiot-proof. You pull the trigger. It's that simple. If it doesn't go off, you give it a few seconds, pull the trigger again. The cylinder rotates, goes to the next round. Why do you wait a few seconds? Because it could have what's called a hang fire. It means the primer might not have burst enough strength to uh, ignite the powder, the charge in the cartridge, but it could slow burn and then all of a sudden ignite it. And you don't want a cartridge around going off with the cylinder having been already rotated a little bit because that'll blow your pistol up. And there's all kinds of different calibers. And they go from the little 22 caliber all the way up to, and I wouldn't waste my time with anything above 45 ACP, automatic cartridge pistol. Uh, there's a lot of esoteric rounds out there, and I don't, I don't recommend any of them. Esoteric is a round that, like, you can't walk into Walmart and buy it, or a, you know, a normal gun shop and buy it. So you want a normal caliber would be like nine millimeter, forty S and W, forty five ACP. Those are standard self-defense rounds for semi-automatic weapons. Standard self-defense rounds for revolvers would be 38 Special, 357 Magnum, maybe even 45 Long Colt or 45 Colt it's called. But again, you're back to why are you buying it? What is the purpose of it? So again, self-defense with a handgun, you want a good enough caliber that it's going to knock someone down or at least impart enough shock that they change their mind instantly. If you're a phenomenal shot, a 22 will work because it is shot placement. Where do you put the bullet? If you're going to get a handgun for self-defense, become proficient at it. Practice. The first thing you're going to do is learn about the gun. Here's a surprising thing. Let's say you buy, let's say you buy a Colt. Let's say you buy a 1911. All right. This is a, a military style 45 ACP pistol. Go on YouTube. Type in the name of the pistol you just bought. And you will see thousands of videos showing you everything from how to shoot them to how to clean them to how to disassemble and repair them. Everything's there. So I don't care if you buy a Glock, a Smith & Wesson revolver, a Colt, anything. I don't care what you buy. You can find all the information right there on YouTube. But become proficient with it. Go out to the range at least once a month if you can and shoot about 50 rounds through it. Now, the rule on firearms and cleaning is you shoot it, you clean it the same day. What happens if you don't is that crud builds up inside of a firearm, not just in a barrel, not just not just in a chamber, but it gets around the outside. It gets it gets inside of the firing pin block inside of a semi-automatic. It gets everywhere. You need to clean the gun as best as possible the day you shot it because the stuff will start corroding it'll start clogging up i made i made thousands and thousands of dollars cleaning law enforcement firearms 
most of them use H. They would use an H and K, or Sig Sauer, or uh, Smith and Wesson, or Glock, and they have what's called a firing pin block. You remove the slide from the top of the from, from the firearm from the frame, turn it over, and there's a block inside of there that has, that holds the firing pin inside. And it's a small, thin passageway the firing pin moves through, so the residue from from cheap ammo clogs up that, and eventually the gun won't even fire. So we've charged money to tear the gun down and clean it. And it's because they never clean it. They wipe it off. That's it. Well, I shot it. Let me wipe it off. That's not good enough. You clean it. Again, YouTube's your friend. It'll show you how to clean it. Get a cleaning kit. Whatever firearm you buy, get a cleaning kit for it. Sure, there's a lot of universal cleaning kits out there. That's fine. But make sure it'll it'll work on on the uh, firearm that you're buying. Recommendation is have a holster that would be comfortable for you. I don't recommend these cheap $12 Uncle Mike nylon, black nylon holsters, unless it's comfortable for you. I recommend a suede-lined leather like a Bianchi, and so it's something that fits you. And, and again, this is another thing. How are you going to carry this gun? Are you going to carry it in the open? Are you going to carry it in the woods? Are you going to carry it in a shoulder holster? Are you going to carry it concealed? You have to figure that out. Now, we're only talking handgun here. When you do buy a firearm, whether it's a handgun or a, or a long gun, you're going to have to figure out your household's security level and your household's responsibility level. Now, my household, when my son was born, when he was six months old, he was out of the range with me. He had earplugs in his ear and headphones over his head, and I was explaining to him and showing him what a Colt 45 does. He just loved that all to hell. You have to determine that, because that determines how you're going to store this firearm. A firearm is worthless for self-defense if it's hidden in a safe. You can forget it. That's that's not what it is. That's not what it's. It's no longer for self-defense. So you'll have to determine how you're going to maintain the position of that firearm. Where are you going to keep it? Logically, don't keep it where some some child can grab it. And don't think just because you tell your your eight year old kid don't ever go in my room and touch my handgun that he's going to obey. You know, there's different things you can get. There's there's there are safes. There's instant safes. In fact, Costco sells them. Home Depot sells them. Lowe's sells them. That you just put your hand on. They're they're about a foot square and six inches deep. You put your hand on top and you press in a certain manner. That's the the uh, password to open the safe. It opens up and you can reach in and grab the gun real quick. There's also custom wall mounts. Custom. Uh, clocks, custom, all kinds of different furniture where you can keep your firearms handy. But you need to make sure that nobody can be harmed because you left your firearm in a position where it can be grabbed. And that thing that includes, let's say your kid brings somebody home from school someday and they decide he decides to brag to his best friend that daddy has a Cobra 9mm. Let me show you. That's not okay. That's for self-defense, right? This is, we're talking self-defense. Let's say you want for training, which the training would be would be a target practice, and usually target practicing is is like a twenty-two, and those guns, the most accurate ones are going to be a semi-automatic, and we're talking handguns here. Most accurate is going to be a semi-automatic. Uh, Smith and Wesson makes one, makes makes a couple of them. Ruger makes some. Uh, Colt makes some. I mean, there's so many of them out there in the market now; it's astounding. Remember. You shoot it, you clean it. And if you're going to get a semi-automatic handgun, make sure you buy at least a half a dozen spare magazines. If you have the funds, buy the factory ones. The reason is, is that some of the aftermarket ones don't feed properly. And instead of pushing, uh, allowing your slide to gently grasp the next round and pull it up into the chamber, it will 
pop it up and turn it sideways and your slide will close on a, on a round sticking straight up. So it's best to get factory magazines or uh, high quality magazines that are recommended for that weapon. Now, the, the, the training part also, there's another gizmo you can get for training. Let's say you get a um, Sig Sauer with an exposed hammer. So that means exposed hammer means you can cock it to pull the trigger. Then you cock it again, pull the trigger, cock it again, pull the trigger. Now, it's not recommended to dry fire firearms of any kind. When you pull the trigger, the firing pin will slam forward with the intent of reaching resistance against the primer of the cartridge you have in the chamber. And that fires it. It, when you dry fire, that's what that's what is called when you have no round in the chamber and you're just clicking it, just clicking the revolver or the gun or the auto, whatever it is. That can break the firing pin. So there actually are dummy rounds with Teflon primers in them that you can put in the uh, the chamber and you can dry fire it. So instead of going tink, 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 it goes boom. Okay, and those are practice rounds. You can but you can pick those up all kinds of places. eBay even sells them. Any caliber, name a caliber. Everything from oh, let's see, everything from a twenty no a thirty-two automatic, three eighty nine millimeter, thirty-eight special, three fifty-seven magnum, thirty-eight super, forty-five ACP, forty-five long Colt, thirty-eight six, twelve gauge, three oh eight. You name it. Any caliber, you can have those practice those uh, those those safety rounds, and use them. So then you'll get the feel of how the gun functions in your hand. There's also something, if you want to spend the money, there's a little round that you can buy that's a, that's a laser emitter. And it slides in the chamber. And every time the firing pin hits the primer, it squirts the laser. The laser ignites. And you can get laser-activated targets. So you pull the trigger, and you see this little red dot show up on the target 25 feet away or 50 feet away. Now, that's cool. That really helps in training, especially in uh, speed from the holster out to to use. Uh, there's also, and if you want to go up further than that, when I say further, I mean expense-wise, there's games out there you can buy to where you actually train a live-action game. I've worked in some of those. That's a trip where you have these dummies pop up out of nowhere. You walk through a course, and you have these dummies pop up off the floor, They're, uh, and you shoot, you're supposed to shoot them. You're supposed to determine if it's a if it's a, an aggressor or, or a, a passive person or a civilian or what have you. The uh, when you hit the dummy, it, it'll go down and it tells you where you hit it. If you hit it in the head and hit it in the in the chest, if you hit it in the groin, the hip, or what have you, those are cool. That's that's a, that's a, that's a lot of money for toys, though. I can tell you right now. The, the another realm of self defense would be a long gun, a shotgun, as it were. See, most of the time people think of self-defense, it's their house. A rifle, it's a smaller cartridge more used for hunting, for killing game. And a rifle cartridge, and a rifle cartridge could be anything from 223, 308, 4570, uh, 30-06, that kind of stuff. That's going to go through your wall, your door, your wall, the door next door, the wall, his wall. The, you know what I mean? That's way too powerful for that. For in-home self-defense, I like a low-powered handgun, and that would be like a 38 Special or even a 45. With me, it doesn't matter because I'm a good enough shot. If I ever had to, I'd kneecap him. But one of the best home defense weapons ever made is a 12-gauge shotgun. Now, if that's too strong for you, you can think about a 20-gauge. But you get a pump shotgun. I don't care 
how screwed up somebody is if they hear somebody rack the pump of a shotgun through their front door, uh, they're going to go away. And I've had, I've sold many, many hundreds and hundreds of pump shotguns in my career. And I've had dozens of people tell me, yes, somebody threatened me at my house and I just picked the shotgun up and I just crank, crank, and they took off. No ammo in it, just made the sound, just crank the, you know, the pump. You have a button for release and you pull back and it's supposed to push a round, a live round into the uh, injector and then you pull the slide forward and it puts it into the chamber ready to fire that's a pump shotgun there's semi-automatic shotguns also they're much more expensive and they're a little harder to take care of pump shotgun is one of the oldest uh military weapons known to man cartridge weapon it was used in the spanish-american war uh again you get a shotgun don't just buy the shotgun say oh look big five has them on sale you know 149.95 or what have you and by the way you look at uh Walmart, uh, Big Five Sporting Goods, Cabela's, Sportsman's Warehouse, or whatever sporting goods store, big big ones, big box stores you have near you, you can get some hell of a deals on shotguns. Believe me, that is it is phenomenal, some of the prices they have. Don't just buy it. Buy yourself a couple boxes of rounds. And for home defense, you don't want double-out buck. You want something like number six to number 12 shot, pigeon shot, dove shot. You don't want the pellets continuing on down the street if you do have to fire the round. So you go and get those, and you test fire them. You take it out to a range or wherever you can, and then, you know, you're not going to be hitting uh, a squirrel at 100 feet with this thing. This is for, I don't know, 25, 50 feet, depending on what round you have. See, with a shotgun, you have different rounds you can put in there. Just because it looks like a shotgun shell doesn't mean it doesn't, it's 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 not deadly. Uh, some shotgun shells, shells actually have four or five 38 caliber balls in them. And some will have 150 little pellets in them. So it just depends on what round you buy. But you go out there and you get used to it and shoot it. When you shoot a shotgun, you make sure it's firmly up against your shoulder. This is not a VW bug. This is a Maserati in heat. So you remember that. Don't play around. Be firmly in control. You are. A firearm is an inanimate object. You are firmly in control of it. Now, where are you going to buy these things? We're going to talk more about this some other time. Before you buy one, see if you can test fire it. I told you about that. Uh, Do your research on the quality and you also want to make sure you can get parts easily for this and you can get ammo easily for this. Now, there's a book you can get. It's called The Blue Book of Gun Values by S.P. Fiedstead. And I have the 36th edition right here. It's about six inches thick, weighs about 10 pounds, and it has almost every firearm ever manufactured listed in it and the conditions. Condition determines the value of the firearm. That's something you've got to be careful of. Now, whatever you do, don't do anything hinky. Do nothing illegal, okay? There's places you can buy guns. Gun store, you, but you're going to fill out the uh, paperwork. You're going to fill out a 4473, okay? Uh, local paper, some, some, some guy is just selling a, a gun. You check it out, and if you want to buy it, you buy it, right? Uh, gun show or your friends. Now, if you do what gun store, I told you, you're going to fill out the registration, Check your local laws. Every every state has different psychosis in it. You can buy on the uh, internet, by the way. 
you go on like gunbroker.com or other places that sell firearms, you're not going to buy it directly. You'll have to have a local federal firearms licensee who can receive the firearm. You can buy it over the internet and they'll ship it to him and then you fill the paperwork out with him. Now, if you buy it through, like if you go to a gun show, most of the people at gun shows aren't dealers. So they don't care about receipts, or I'm sorry, they don't care about paperwork, they care about receipts, and that's all. Maybe you'll find a gun you like at a gun show, but the guy's a dealer. Well, you're going to fill out paperwork. So this is up to you. I always recommend no paperwork, so there's no paper trail. But you got to check your local laws. Some of you live in places that have the uh, psychosis of liberalism there. In other words, your Democrats are in control of you. Always bring a bore light when you're looking at guns. I don't care if it's a handgun, a shotgun, or a rifle. Bring a bore light. A bore light is, is either a specifically made flashlight that, that is not overly bright, that you can, put, you, you know, you, you open the, the chamber of a gun, and you stick the bore light in the chamber, and you get up on the muzzle in, and you look. You want to make sure there's no rings inside of there. You want to make sure it's clean. Never buy a firearm that's not clean. If you, you guys got a gun that you want, and it's barrels dirty, ask him to clean it for you. If he doesn't, he's trying to hide something from you. You get these guns that have rings in them. That means a round is blown up inside of it, or the or barrels that have rotted out. You don't want any of that crap. The uh, You can do... Now, what I do sometimes, I have a little piece of white paper, and I stick that in the chamber, and I look in the muzzle, and I move it around to where the light's reflecting off the white paper up the chamber. So it's, you know, that's you can do that. You check out the finish on the outside. Is it worn? If it's supposed to be blued, you want it all blued. You don't want some light gray spots on it where it's been worn coming in and out of the holster. All of these things make change the value of the gun. Let's say uh, a, a Smith & Wesson Model 10 is worth 300 bucks in mint condition. That's a six-shot revolver, 38 special. So guy's got one, but he's carried it in a holster for 10 years, so the bluing's worn off the cylinder on both sides. That knocks about 25 bucks off the value right there. Now there's also stainless. Now stainless does not mean rustless. It means stainless. Remember that. Stainless is good because it's very forgiving. Literally, I've dropped a revolver in, uh, in the lake, and it took me a week to find it and get it out. Never rusted. I just wiped it down, cleaned it up, and it was good as new. Blued? That ain't going to happen, believe me. There's also nickel coating. If you want a pimp gun, something to really impress people, well, you get it nickel, nickel plated. And there's other different, there's all kinds of other different finishes that you can get on firearms. So you're looking for cosmetic damage. You're looking for rust. You're looking for scrapes. You're looking for broken sights, broken triggers. Uh, the grips or the stock has been fractured and repaired or not repaired. So you, you look at these things. Say you're looking at a shotgun and the buttstock is sloppy loose on there. Ask the guy, can you tighten this up for me? If there's something blatantly wrong with a firearm and the guy won't do anything that's easy to fix it right then, walk away. Or offer him tenth what he's asking. Then you're going to check your, your function. If it's a, a handgun that has a, a, a hammer, cock it. Move the action. Make sure the trigger functions. Make sure the hammer drops. If it's a revolver, make sure the cylinder rotates freely. Make sure the cylinder's lined up. See, when you pull the hammer back on a revolver, the next chamber cylinder will rotate over, and the round should be lined up with the, the uh, chamber of the barrel. If it's not lined up perfectly that's called out of time so it needs to be timed properly so that means it's going to be it's going to need some work done to it a bolt action rifle 
pull the bolt out. Look down the chamber. Look in the barrel. Make sure everything's functioning perfectly. Make sure every firearm you look at, whether it's a handgun or a long gun, make sure the safety works. There's a lot of semi-automatic handguns that the safeties have been uh, broken off of or filed down. Make sure the safety works. If you're looking at a lever-action rifle like a Winchester or a Marlin, make sure that this thing functions. Make sure it functions. Use common sense. A pump-action rifle or shotgun, work the action. Make sure it works. Use common sense. Again, this is all common sense. Now, here's a little trick that I used. Get a quarter-inch dowel about six inches long. A dowel, okay? Wooden, a little wood stick. Make sure it's perfectly flat on both ends. Because what you're going to do, you want to know if the gun fires. Well, then, say you go to a gun show and you're looking at at some revolvers. Well, how are you going to know if that thing fires? You can't, unless... You cock the gun, and you stick. You aim the gun straight up. Obviously, it's unloaded. And you drop the dowel straight down the muzzle to where it sits on the back of the fire, on the fr- where the firing pin will come out, and then pull the trigger. Now, the firing pin should hit that dowel hard enough to where the dowel either jumps up two or three inches or flies out of the barrel. It's easy to tell on a handgun. It's harder to tell on a, on a rifle, but you can listen for it. You. And this works, a quarter-inch dial works on every 30 caliber gun there is. 9mm, 38, 357, 30-06, 308. Okay, they're all basically the same 9mm thing. Cock the bolt, close it, drop the dowel down the muzzle, put it up to your ear, pull the trigger. You should hear the dowel fly up and drop back down. Then you know it works. So make sure everything that's functional is functional on a firearm. And then, now you've already done your due diligence, so you should know what the value of this thing is. And you you judge that not just on what the book says, but on whether or not you want it right now, whether or not it's rare, whether or not it's uh, an investment, whether or not you need a gun. (laughs) There's many variables. We didn't have the time to go really in-depth on how to buy a firearm last show. So that's what I'm going to do now. Now, first off, make sure you're trained. Don't think you're trained, okay? Make sure you're trained. Go to a local range. Go in a class with an NRA certified instructor. It's, it's real simple. Make sure that you're, you're fully aware of what you're doing. Now, here's the key. You need to determine your purpose. What do you want a firearm for? You want it for self-defense? You want it for hunting? You want it for training purposes? You know, target practice, that kind of stuff. Uh, do you want it for collecting? Firearms are like gold. They often go up in value. Not all the time. Many times, firearms, if kept in original mint condition, go up in value. There's a lot of variables to it. Some guns, doesn't matter if mint condition or not, like an 1873 Colt revolver. It doesn't matter how bad cosmetic it is. It's still worth thousands and thousands of dollars. So first thing you need to do is figure out, what do I want this gun for? Let's say you decide you want it for for self-defense. Well, there's more to it than just that. Self-defense of what? In your house, in an apartment, uh, in city travel, like you're going to be going out on the city, business location, like you've got a store, going up in the woods, concealed carry, these are all considered self-defense. So you need to determine what you want. From there, you know, we're, we're just staying with self-defense here. From there, there are different variables. Some people like handguns, some people like shotguns. Personally, for home defense, I'm going to have a pump shotgun, and I talked about that prior, because just the sound of cranking that pump, 
That sound is going to scare the hell out of anybody. I don't care if they've ever heard a shotgun before. They're going to hear that sound. They know something metallic is uh, charging up and getting ready. I remember years ago, we, my wife and I were parked in a trailer on a lot in Phoenix, Arizona, right across the street from the dog track. And it was middle of the night, pitch black, and I had to go to the store. So my wife's at home with the baby, uh, Eric, but she had my shotgun. Now, Angie's kind of scatterbrained, so she couldn't figure out how to load it, but it was still there. Right after I left, I mean within minutes, there was a knocking on the door and somebody saying, hey, can I come in and use your phone? And my wife's like, you got to be out of your freaking mind. She picked the shotgun up, shotgun up, and she just went clank, clank. And all she heard was footprints running down the street. That's the good thing about it. I'm not saying never load it. I'm just saying that's what I like a, a pump shotgun for because it impresses. It's a deterrent, and that's what you. That's what is vital is to be able to deter somebody so that they don't do anything wrong. Unfortunately, nowadays the people they think they're invincible and they think that nothing bad will ever happen to them. So you, you chamber around into your pump shotgun, they'll dare you to shoot them. Don't unless they're threatening you. Now, let's say now that's just for your house or your apartment. So there's a pump shotgun. Now, pump shotguns, I can tell you right now, uh, some stores around have hell of deals on them. Like Big Five or uh, Cabela's sometimes, Black Sheep here in town, Walmart. Just look for your ads. Do your, do your due diligence. And this is the important thing. Don't get snagged with this impulse buying. It happens all the time. I've had friends do it, and they bought $1,000 guns and then turned around and didn't like them. And when they went to sell them, they, they, they thought in their head they're going to get their $1,000 back. No, they ended up selling them for like seven, dollars $800. So don't impulse buy a firearm. unless. Now, this is the thing. Unless that's what you want to do. That's the important thing. Now, if you're going to be doing traveling, you don't want a shotgun. First off, traveling, you got it's it's kind of touchy, you know. Some states don't allow you to have a, a loaded firearm in a car. Some states you can't cross the state line with a, with a firearm. You know, like my grandpa used to tell me, never let the law get in the way of common sense. So if you're going to travel, I don't recommend a pump shotgun. I would recommend at that point a handgun. And you'll have to determine whether you want a revolver or a semi-automatic handgun. And a business location the biggest, nastiest thing you can get your hands on. You want to scare the hell out of them. A nickel-plated Colt 45 works perfect because you can pick it up and show it to them, and they'll look at it and go, oh, my God, that's a gun. But that's up to you. In the woods, you want something with a large caliber. You don't want a little pea shooter 22 unless you're looking to, to shoot rabbits or squirrels or something. So when I when I used to go hiking, I carried a 357 Magnum. It's light enough that I could carry it without worrying about it and having too much excess weight, yet it'll drop a deer. And I've seen 357 Magnums take down bear, a black bear too. So you need to figure out what it's for. That's your purpose, right? Now, if you're going to go hunting, if you say, well, I don't want it for self-defense. I already I already got something for that. I want a, I want a hunting gun. What are you going to hunt? Because if you're just going to hunt squirrels, you don't want a 300 Win Mag. So you've got to determine. Firearms are tools, generally. So you need to determine which tool you want to use for what job. So you need to determine which animals that you're going to hunt mostly. And then you're going to need to determine the distance of the shot. I went hunting with my uh, relatives years ago, 
and everybody was carrying bolt action 300 wind mag or 30 out six with a three to nine power scope on it and i carried a lever action 33 i'm sorry a lever action 3030 with just iron sights on it and my uncle said why why don't you have a scope on your gun so because we won't see a deer but maybe 100 feet from us and that's it that scope's not going to do us either of us any good iron sights it'll do just perfect because that's where we were hunting. It was so so woodsy. You, you're not going to see a deer, but maybe 100 feet max. You also, uh, this is part of what's the necessary caliber. It's like Remington 700 bolt-action rifles. They make them in like seven different calibers, eight different calibers. So you have to determine what you're going to be hunting. If you're going to be hunting 150-pound white-tailed deer, you don't need a 300 wind mag. You'll tear a hole out of that meat. So something like a 30-30 be perfect. And I'll tell you a secret. The SKS, or AK-47, shoots a 7.62 by 39 round. It's the exact same muzzle velocity uh, and, and potency as a 30-30. So a 7.62 by 39 and a 30-30 is, for all intents and purposes, the same bullet. Now, you're going to be hunting in the woods. You're going to be hunting uh, on flatlands. See, if you're in Wyoming, where you can see 10 miles, yeah, you're going to want a good scope. Now, here's the other thing, and this is the one thing people don't think about. You're going to carry this thing 99% of the time. You're going to shoot it 1% of the time. My uh, cousin bought a bull barrel, custom-made 300 Winchester Magnum with a, a uh, fiberglass stock and a Bushnell bipod on it. The thing would drive a tack at 1,000 yards, but it weighed 15 pounds. But that's what he wanted to carry. I like my 8-pound Winchester 3030. Yeah, let's see. So uh, that's the hunting aspect. Now, again, if you're just going to be hunting squirrels, a 22 works just fine. Even a 223 will work just fine. You're not going to have a lot of meat left unless you, unless you do a headshot with a 223. But uh 22, oh, by the way, just for those of you who don't know, you're going to hear a lot of a lot of BS from the communists out there, especially the commies that are running for Demo- they're going to be uh, president. They want to be president next year. About how devastating and and hard hitting these uh, AR fifteen rounds are. An AR fifteen round is basically a point two two three. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you have a twenty two, that's point two two, and it's a little short bullet. A 223 bullet is the same exact diameter as a 22. It's just beefier and longer. So they're basically blowing it out their sphincters when they don't know what they're talking about, but they're trying to impress the other idiots out there who don't know what they're talking about either. Now, if you're going to be hunting, uh, now I hunted squirrels. I sometimes I hunted with a 22, but most of the time it was with a 410 shotgun. Because it was close in. I hunted quail with a 410 shotgun. And that's pretty much the lightest shotgun you're going to find. So if you're hunting birds, that's the easiest thing to use is a shotgun. Unless you're real damn good with a rifle. But, you know, there's a thing. There's two ends to a bullet. Where it starts and where it ends. When you shoot it. That's what I'm talking about. It starts in your gun and you don't know where it's going to end. And that's the problem when you're shooting up. Uh, You can ask the Muslims in the Middle East when they're shooting up. They have hundreds of deaths yearly because they shoot up. When they get excited, they shoot up. They aim up and they shoot their gun. And they just can't can't come to terms with the gravity that draws that bullet straight down through their head. 
So I like uh, a shotgun. A shotgun's good. And a shotgun, you can get single shot. Uh, those, 100 bucks. You just a uh, little lever, you click it, and the barrel falls forward. And you put a round in, and you straighten it out, and you have one round you shoot. It's great for kids because they're not going to go ramble shooting a whole bunch of, uh, of rounds, which are not cheap anymore. Now, shotguns, they also had lever-action shotguns. And they have pump shotguns and semi-automatic shotguns. So those are different types of uh, weapons uh, for hunting. And then for training, most of the time, if you're teaching somebody from scratch, you're going to be using a 22 caliber pistol. And those would be a semi-automatic pistol because they're the easiest thing to use, especially in a 22 caliber. They're more, much more accurate, but you have both. You have the semi-automatic and you have the revolver. Now, the revolver, uh, you have a cylinder that holds 6 to 10 rounds. Depends on the, on the manufacturer. But the cylinder is what I would refer to as idiot-proof. You pull the trigger and it goes bang. A semi-automatic uh, handgun, you have to pull the slide back. And I'll give you guys a secret. And I, I used to teach self-defense to women. And a lot of women can't grab. Let's take a 1911 A1 Colt 45 semi-automatic handgun. You would be holding it in your right hand. Obviously, none of your fingers are in the trigger housing. They're pointed straight ahead. The, the index finger is pointed straight ahead. And with your left hand, a man would pull, grab the slide, hold the frame with the right hand so it doesn't move, pull the slide all the way back, and let go. And that's how you would chamber around. Well, a lot of people can't do that. Not just women, but a lot of people can't do that. So here is a secret. You're doing it bass backwards. You hold the firearm, like I said. Now, it doesn't matter if it's a Colt 1911A1 or a Glock or an H&K or a Sig Sauer or a Taurus or a Beretta or I don't care, any of this. You hold the, 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 the gun with your right hand, not extended, just halfway out, right? And then you reach over with your left hand, you grasp the slide, you hold the slide, and you push the frame forward. In other words, you hold the slide with your left hand, and using your right hand, you push it forward. And you push the bottom part of the pistol forward enough, eventually it'll slip out of your left hand, and the slide will go and chamber around. So instead of pulling the slide back, you hold the slide and you push the frame forward. Try it sometime. It's so much easier to chamber around. Training would be 22 is what I recommend. I trained on a 38. 38 revolver is what I trained on uh, originally. But there are other different firearms. As a matter of fact, you can also train on, on pellet rifles and pellet pistols. Those you can shoot generally in the city, like in the house or something. You know, they're not really loud and they're not going to punch holes through the walls. So the, tr the training, it, it depends on you how you want to do it. Training would not just be a pistol, a 22 rifle. And I recommend, well, the first rifle I ever bought, Eric, was a, called a cricket. It was just about as long as my arm. But when you got a six-year-old boy and you put this single-shot bolt-action rifle to his shoulder, it looks like it's made for a child. And it is. Very short. Very short rifle. Single shot. And that's what you want. You don't want anybody going Rambo. Uh, Rambo, you know that. You don't waste the ammunition. So his first gun was a bolt-action single-shot cricket. And then after that, I got him a Ruger 10-22, which it has a semi-automatic rifle and holds 10 rounds. So you can do, and there's different ones. Uh, Marlin makes a good semi-automatic rifle. And you've got to balance between whether you want a tube fed. And you, you know this the barrel, there's a tube run along the barrel. And you pull out this 
insert in that tube, and then you drop usually about 12 rounds with the lead aiming up in that tube, and then you push the insert back down, and now you get now you can fire. The problem with those, a tube-fed weapon, whether it's a .22 or a .30-06, it doesn't matter. If you dent that tube, you're SOL. You can't load, and that's that's all you have. From that point on, you have a single-shot rifle because you can only put one round in at a time. The other the other thing is that if you have a magazine-fed rifle like a, a .10-22, which takes a 10-round mag, and it can take a 20-round and 30-round and 100-round. It can take all of these different mags. If you lose the mag, you, you got a single-shot rifle as well. So if you're going to buy any rifle, any rifle that takes a magazine, make sure you buy a dozen at least of spare mags. And don't be cheap. Don't get these $2.99 crap. Get the best magazines you can. They could mean your life in either a self-defense mode or uh, food if you have to go out hunting for food. Now, then we're looking at collecting. So we have... Defense, hunting, training, now collecting. Collecting is kind of tricky because collecting is buying a firearm on speculation that it might appreciate in value. I can tell you right now, if a gun's 100, 150 bucks, it is not going to appreciate that much, maybe five bucks. So don't waste your money on buying a whole bunch of cheap guns. And we're talking either revolver, semi-automatic pistol, shotgun, or rifle. You look for quality and you try and buy... When you well, when you buy a gun, it comes in a box. Now, believe it or not, that's part of the collector mystique: is does it have the paperwork, original paperwork? Does it have the original box? Does it have you know all, everything that came with it originally? That'll knock twenty percent off the value of a firearm if you don't have all of that stuff. But there's variables, and these variables you need to learn if you're going to be buying firearms for uh, collecting. And I mentioned this book; it's called Blue Book of Gun Values. And it's got, I gotta tell you, yeah, it's a very light read. There's only 2,500 pages in it. <laughs> That's how thick it is. And it lists so many different firearms, most people never even knew that they existed. And the funny part is, every gun that's, that's in here, I can tear apart and fix. I've done a lot of work on the damn things. So there's a lot of different firearms out there. There are some that are very rare. There are some that are highly collectible because there's maybe 10 to 100 of them ever made. There's some uh, like Winchesters. To give you an example, an M1 Garand, a mint M1 Garand. This is a 30 6 used in World War II and Korea and a little in Nam. A standard Springfield M1 Garand, it's 1000 bucks. If it's all matching Winchester, $2,000. If it's all matching Harrington and Richardson... $2,500 to $3,000. You see the difference? They can look exactly the same, but you need to know how to tell the difference between the internals and, and you know the, all the other things that go with them. In, on collecting, don't get sucked into the commemoratives. Winchester comes out with the, their lever action model 94 3030, and they say, okay, this is a John Wayne commemorative, only a thousand of them made. And a lot of nice engraving on it. it. comes with a nice box and all of this. And it was like $500. And people would buy them. And then they'd say, all right, now they're out. They only had 1000 So I want $1,000 for this gun. But then you keep seeing these things for sale at the gun shops, at the gun stores, and from Winchester. So these guns that they claim they're only making 1000 of, they might have five to 10000 of them out there somewhere. 
And it's a standard ploy. All the manufacturers do it. Ruger have, has done it many times. So these Winchester commemoratives, there are, yeah, there are people that collect them. But I'll tell you how they collect them. They know what they cost new. When I first got into firearms, I got into the Winchester collectibles. I had like 30 of them. I bought them from a guy who was going out of business and he was retiring. And they're all brand new in the box. I paid $200 a piece. That was a lot of money. I'll tell you that right now. And I'm thinking, wow, these things are worth, wow, four or five hundred dollars. The book said they're worth four or five hundred bucks. I carry those around to a half a dozen different gun shows and never sold one. Finally, somebody came up to me and he said, look, you've been busting your butt trying to sell those damn things. You got to know the truth. They're not collectibles. They're just pretty guns. You want to get rid of them? The best you're going to get is 250 bucks a piece for them. So finally, I ended up selling them 250 bucks, sold them all in the next gun show. So you've got to be careful what you buy. If it, And the more you know about that exact firearm, the better you can do. Take World War II Lugers, German Lugers. You can buy a German Luger. That's a 9mm. You can buy a German Luger for, I don't know, three, 400 bucks. But you'll swear that one sitting on the table that looks exactly like the one you just paid 300 bucks for is the same gun, yet he's asking 2900 and somebody's buying it. There are a lot of variables. There's a lot of manufacturers internal. Just because the gun says Winchester doesn't mean all the parts inside of it are made by Winchester. They could be made by some other vendor. So you need to know the slight, slight differences in a lot of these collectible firearms. And firearms are valuable depending on models. The first AR-15 to come out by Colt was an SP-1. And it was a simple, uh, thin-barreled. The forearm was triangular-shaped, so it fits your hand fairly decently. Semi-automatic automatic rifle. And they were selling for $189. So I bought one. What, what, a, you know, what the hell? I put it in my closet, forgot about it for 20 years. All of a sudden, that gun's worth $1,000. And I, that's what I got for it. So it just depends on the firearm and if it's quality. Do not buy garbage. Unless you, you know, unless you were a gunsmith like me, I'd buy anything. I don't care what it was. It could be a blown-up shotgun. I'll buy it because I tear them down and I would use the parts internally. So there's different reasons why you would be buying a firearm. The whole, the whole thing here is knowledge is power, and the more knowledge you have, the more power you can exert over your purchasing habits for firearms. Now, there's more to just what I said than a revolver and a semi-automatic. We're talking, there's, you can go back in time. Flintlocks, cap and balls, a flintlock, yeah, you're not going to ever hunt with one of them. I mean, if you want, you could. Cap and ball is a big thing now. Cap and ball is this. It's a muzzle loader. And so, in other words, you load it from the muzzle, you put the powder in, you take a ball, you wrap it in a patch, and you jam it down, and you pack it down, and then you half-cock the hammer... And you take a little cap. It's it's like an old stickum cap. Or it's a little silver cappy thing, and you put it over the nipple. It's called. And this nipple is something that sticks up about a quarter inch, and it has a hole down the middle of it. And this hole goes directly down into the chamber. The chamber is where the gunpowder is that you just loaded. Now, when you you cock your hammer, pull the trigger, it hits that cap, sends a spark down. That cap's called a primer. Sends that spark spark down, ignites the gunpowder, and the bullet comes out the other end. That's called a cap and ball. And they have revolvers that way, and they have rifles that way. They even have shotguns that way, but that's just too weird. 
Now, in a rifles, you have you can start off with a muzzle loader if you ever want to, you know, play in that area. And by the way, there are no real value to modern muzzle loaders. Two hundred year old muzzle loaders—that's a different ball of wax. Then they had something called a falling block. So you'd have this rifle that with a lever, and after you pull that lever down, the top part of the frame literally would either would uh, uh, raise up. And you would slide your bullet into that. And then you'd pull the lever back and it goes back into battery is what it's called. And then you would fire it. You're never going to see any of those either. So you're going to be, with with uh, rifles, you're going to be looking at bolt action, which are the more, bolt action rifles are more accurate than other ones. The semi-automatic rifles, they use some of the gases that the cartridge expands to move the action. With a bolt action, you use all the gas to throw that bullet downrange. So you'd be dealing with a bolt action rifle, a lever action rifle, a pump. Remington made some pump rifles or semi-automatic rifles. And the shotguns are simple. They're single shot, lever action. They made some lever action shotguns. In fact, if you, some of the John Wayne movies had him using a lever action shotgun. Pump shotgun, of course, and a semi-automatic shotgun. Now, I I don't really like the semi-auto shotguns because most of them are too finicky with the ammo, and and they can jam too easily, and that's that's dangerous. Let's see. Now, again, you got do your research on value. There's there's uh, other books out there that you can get besides the Blue Book of Gun Values. There's the Gun Digest, and if you go to a gun show, you can find guys selling these Gun Digests. They come out every year. And you can pick them up. Sometimes you can pick them up yard sales for 50 cents. They don't have 2,000 pages in them. They probably have maybe three or 400. But it gives you a lot of information on value and, and uh, different firearms. So the, the key is to look at is this. What's your purpose for this firearm? Then you need to look at how easy is it going to be for me to get parts to repair this firearm. Granted, most firearms now have lifetime warranties on them. But if the Schumer hits the fan, you ain't sending it nowhere. And if you break a firing pin or or you know, run out of magazines, you can't get magazines, well, you're screwed. So how easy, that gun you just bought, how easy is it going to be for you to get parts to fix it? And then how easy is it is, is it going to be to get ammo? I have had guys, they said they get some weird caliber and and love it, except you can't buy the ammo anywhere. You actually have to load it yourself because nobody stocks that ammo. That's really stupid. Might be a good collectible, but it's not going to be something you're going to be using all the time. Now, where are you going to buy these guns? This is the other thing that's important. If you buy it by a quote-unquote legitimate dealer, meaning somebody who has a federal firearms license, you will be filling out a federal form 4473. That's just the start. Depending on a state you're in, and I don't mean confusion, I mean the, the state you uh, live in, there might be other requirements. There might be other restrictions. There might be a three-day wait, 10-day wait, 15-day wait. There might be, uh, if you've ever been charged with certain crimes, you might be uh, banned from buying firearms. Democrats make all kinds of laws up. And it's, it, it, as long as we have liberal judges... We're going to lose every case if we try and fight them. So you need to pay attention to the, your local laws. You don't want to get screwed up. I can warn you right now, if you violate these laws and are caught, uh, your life is going to change totally. 
you can lose everything you own because you'll have to to pay for a lawyer you could there's all kinds of things nasty bad things to happen to you be aware of this don't do anything illegal unless you want to and if you do don't get caught it's, you know it's that simple i don't recommend that but if you go and buy from a dealer again an ffl federal firearms licensee you're going to have to fill out the paperwork and, and all of this stuff. Now, that doesn't quote-unquote register the gun. The dealer, by law, has to keep that piece of paper or that group of papers that you fill out for 20 years on on premises. Now, when you call in, he does an NIC check, national instant check. He, when he gets on a phone call and, and he calls up and he says, this is the guy's name, this is his address, his driver's license number, whatever, and they say yay or nay, or hold, well, that's the FBI, and they they lie and say they don't save that information. Well, that's a flat lie. They save all that information. So this is what happens. You, you buy a firearm legally, there's going to be a trail back to you, a big, wide one. If you buy, this has already been proven many times. People in California bought AR-15s and AK-47s. This is before... The background check. This is before the NIC phone call check. The ATF, now called Tobacco and Firearms, went to every single dealer in California and said, we want your complete records on everybody who's ever bought one of these type of guns. And they turned them in. They don't have an option. They just gave it to them. So that's something to be aware of. These forms also, I don't have the form here with me, but... On those forms, they ask you, have you ever been adjudicated mentally defective? Have you ever been on uh, psychotropic drugs? This kind of stuff. If you have ever taken anxiety medication, if you've ever taken depression medication, if you've ever taken, even by accident, there's a record of you having done so. So what can happen, and has happened many times, is that the law enforcement agency that wants you, one way or another, or wants to, to ban specific uh, types of people from owning firearms will get these records, that 4473, the yellow sheet, and say, this guy's been on drugs. Uh, even though he didn't know he was on drugs, he was just, you know, because he said he had anxiety. Uh, he no longer can have guns. And they will come to your house, knock on your door, and and uh, take all your firearms. Realize what I'm telling you, I'm not dramatizing this. I'm really, really soft-selling it. What they do is dangerous. And people die every day because they get shot by the law enforcement. Uh, when I was in Modesto, a man's in a bathtub. He doesn't. The only firearm he owns is a six-shot cap and ball made by Ruger, 44, 44 caliber. He's in the bathtub, his wife's sitting on the couch with their 14-year-old daughter in their pajamas watching Disneyland, Disney movie. The front door gets kicked in, and a bunch of screaming thugs come rushing in the door. The man hears the noise, grabs his six-shot. He's naked. He goes running out into the hallway, and he gets 27 rounds from an MP5 9mm fully automatic assault weapon in his chest. And it turned out it was the wrong house. They didn't apologize. They threw the women on the floor, handcuffed them. The guy died in the hallway. They They searched the house, realized it's not a drug house left the business card and walked out the broken front door, left everybody there. This is standard operating procedure now for law enforcement in the United States. And I'm sorry for you one or two out there that don't do this, but the rest of them do because that's just what they're trained to do. If you want to buy it 
with paperwork, you go right ahead and you do so. You can get some damn good deals. And if you're one of the people who say, I want that, I want that first Glock 21 that comes out, I want it. You go right ahead. It's totally okay. And you can buy at a gun store, a pawn shop, big box store, like Cabela's or Walmart, that kind of stuff. So the drawback with that is you're going to register it, and uh, but there's possible deals. Now, you can buy on the Internet, and you hear the communists always screaming about, oh, buying, they can, anybody can buy a gun on the Internet. Well, you can, but it has to be sent to a licensed dealer. You, you can't, it's not going to be sent to you. It doesn't happen, ever. It gets sent to a licensed dealer. So, in other words, we're back to square one. You're buying from a gun store. So you're going to do the registration and all of this stuff. If you buy and if you if it's legal to do so, you can go to gun shows. Now there's dealers that do gun shows as well. That's something to, to uh, remember also. Not everybody that at the gun show sitting behind the table is a dealer. The majority of them are not. They're just Joe Schmuck who's got a bunch of handguns or rifles or shotguns and he just he's had enough. He's just getting rid of them. That's all. Those kind of people generally don't ask for anything other than a receipt. They size you up. They look at you and determine whether or not you're a thug or uh, an idiot who might hurt himself or a gang member. And uh, they determine whether or not you're just a citizen and they'll they'll sell you a firearm. And you do the receipt, give them the cash, and off you go. No paper trail whatsoever. Except for the receipt, of course. That's up to you to evaluate if that's what you want to do. Now, if you go to a gun show with the purpose of buying a firearm, what you don't want to do is walk around looking nefarious. You don't look over your shoulder all the time. Maybe you should be because every gun show in the United States has at least a dozen undercover agents everywhere from every agency, uh, drug enforcement task force, uh, gang task force, FBI, sheriff's department, police department. You, you, You don't know how many of these strange agencies there are. And they're all looking for people committing crimes at a gun show. They're watching for known felons. They're watching for wanted criminals. They're watching for people doing stupid stuff. And they will pop you. The other thing at a gun show is that police will drive through, or ATF will drive through, and they uh, photograph every license plate in in the uh, parking lot. And then they run wants and warrants on every one of those license plates to determine whether or not that person is wanted. And if if it shows up positive... Well, they'll just station somebody out there waiting for you to come out, and then they'll arrest you. So there's, you know, there's pros and cons on that, too. But going to a gun show, you can find all kinds of deals in there, and it's cash or gold or trade. If you got guns you don't want, you can take with you. When you walk in the door, they're going to ask you to make sure it's unloaded. Then they're going to put a, usually put a strap in there so it's inoperable, like a little nylon tie strap. And make sure you carry your gun in a, in a soft case so you don't want it to get damaged and have some kind of... Uh, you know, some kind of a, a a a way that you could whatever you're going to buy, you can take out with you without getting scratched up as well. Like maybe buy another soft case or something. That that's just my my uh, viewpoint on that. But in so you can buy from a gun store, pawn shop, uh, one of the box stores, internet sites. You can buy at gun shows. You can buy through a paper. Now, not a, not every newspaper allows firearm sales in it. We're in North Idaho. There's not that many Democrats up here yet. Uh, I'm sure within the next few years we'll be nothing more than a a um, 
extension of Los Angeles, but as it is now, people advertise guns for sale in the local newspaper, and then you have the nickel ad, you know, the, the penny saver and nickel ad, whatever you want to call it, the throwaways, you find them at your supermarket like every Thursday or Wednesday. You can find deals in there for sale. you got to be careful about that. Use some common sense. Don't just, you know, some guy goes, yeah, I, I got this... Uh, thousand dollar gun i'll take 250 bucks for it meet me at my house i live 100 miles north of here at about 10 o'clock at night yeah don't do that okay and then uh, obviously you got friends and a lot of people don't look at guns as anything other than a tool the guy next door to me used to hunt he had a 270 and he hunted for 20 years and then finally one day he said that's it i'm done too much work i don't have time for this so he had a nice winchester bolt action 270 just a good standard small lightweight rifle that I know for a fact at a gun show I could get 500 bucks for. He goes, give me 100 bucks. I didn't argue. I gave him 100 bucks. He was happy. So there's various places that you can buy firearms. There's more to this than I'm ever going to be able to explain to you. I can tell you right now, there's way more to this. One of the most important things is how to evaluate a purchase. Like you, you say, uh, let's just say you look, you're looking for a Derringer. Uh, well, okay, so there's a guy who's got five of them on his table. Well, which one should you buy? They're all the same year. They're all the same manufacturer. What you need to look at are the uh, the cosmetics and the mechanical aspect of it, and that kind of stuff. Always bring a bore light. Now, a bore light is like a little flashlight with a with an angle, kind of like a little piece of plastic. It, it's like a 90-degree angle that goes on the end of it. So when you turn the light on, and if you were aiming it directly to the left, it'd actually be shining directly in your face. And you would stick that in the bore. Like if it was a bolt-action rifle, you'd pull, open the bolt, and you'd stick it in the bore, turn the light on, and you could, looking down the muzzle, you can determine what's inside the barrel, how the rifling looks, if there's any uh, signs of foul play or explosions inside or deterioration or rust or corrosion that kind of stuff when all else fails take a piece of paper and just tear off a little piece of it and stick it down in the bore in the in the chamber reflecting the light into the chamber that helps that works also okay and if you don't have a bore light well that's the easiest thing to do so the idea is to evaluate. The first thing you do is you look at the finish. Now, what kind of finish is this weapon anyway? Now, this doesn't matter if it's a handgun, a shotgun, or a rifle. If it's blued, you want it to be blued all over. You want it to be totally, you want it to look like brand new is what you want it to do. And I used to joke and say, people say, what are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for a, 10, a $20 bill for nine ninety five. So that's that's what you do, and you're looking to see in the quality of cosmetic finish. If the gun is worn, obviously that'll detract from the value. Now there are variables to that as well. If this gun is 100 years old, 150 years old, of course it's going to have some wear on it, and that's considered. Again, obviously, the better quality cosmetic finish the higher value of the firearm. Now, that's blued. If it's stainless, you want to make sure that it's not been scratched and gouged up. If it's nickel or uh, chrome-plated, then, you, then again, make sure that it's not scratched up or, or uh, polished or d- discolored. Sometimes you can buy chrome or nickel-plated uh, handguns that, that look almost pink. Now, what that is, is that 
when you take a normal firearm or a piece of iron or steel and you want to chrome plate it or nickel plate it, you don't just put the chrome or nickel directly on it. First, you have to coat it with copper. Copper sticks to, to ferrous metal. Chrome won't. So you have to coat it with copper. Now, chrome and nickel then will stick to the copper. So you have two layers there. And you can tell when the, when the uh, nickel or chrome starts wearing because you, you'll get kind of a reddish or a pinkish tinge to the gun, to the metal part there. Okay, so that's, that's it. Now, if it's a handgun, I advise taking the grips off if, you, if they'll let you, if you can. Because you can remove the grips and you look at the metal there. And sometimes, you know, you, they don't, they, they'll wipe down the outside, but they don't care too much about the inside. And you're going to start seeing some rust and corrosion right underneath the grip. So just think about that. You also look in areas that you wouldn't think to look. Uh, like I said, under the grips, around the trigger, around the front sight, the rear sight. You, you look everywhere you can to make sure there's no rust. That's important. Stains of any kind. Now, if it can be wiped off with a rag, that's no big deal. Scrapes, scratches, make sure there's no broken sights. That's important. Look at that. Uh, make sure the trigger's functioning and not just flopping around there loose. And check the grips or the stock of the gun. Sometimes people will buy a rifle and, the, and they get it real cheap because the buttstock is cracked. So they'll just buy a new buttstock and slap it on there. Well, it's not going to fit like factory, original. So that can tell you right there that the gun at one time was mistreated. There's these little tricks to this. You you work if it's a pump action, you work the pump, you make sure that it works fine and everything locks up fine. If it's a lever action, like a Winchester or a Marlin rifle or a Rossi, work the lever action, make sure it's smooth and locks up well. Uh, if bolt action rifle, make sure the bolt functions right. I always pull the bolt out and check it and make sure it hasn't been messed with. Some You get a lot of these wannabe gunsmiths out there, and they'll take a file to metal. If, if they feel like it's a little sharp or, or doesn't sm- move smoothly, they'll take a file to it. That removes metal. Most of the time, you want to polish metal, the parts that wear, not file them down. So be careful of that. And again, you're checking now, again, for function as well. So you cock the firearm, you rotate the cylinder carefully, if they allow it. Now, a lot of collectible revolvers, they don't want you to revo- to move the cylinder whatsoever. They don't want you to revolve it because that could put light lightweight scratches in the cylinder. You ask before. You ask before you do anything. And there are many people will have signs on the table say, please ask for t- before touching or do not touch. Well, don't show yourself as a buffoon or a moron by ignoring those. You always ask, always. Even if there's no signs on the table, you show the courtesy of asking. That'll help you get a better price in the long run. <laughs> Otherwise, you check, the, does, it, does the uh, hammer cock back? Does it stay back? Does the safety work? Does it work properly when you uh, pull the slide back? Does, that, does it stay open? If there's a, no ammo in it, does the uh, magazine hold the the slide back? Uh, you work the lever. You, you work all the different parts of the firearm to make sure they're all good. And then to make sure that it fires, well, you're not going to put a bullet in it and pull the trigger. <laughs> Unless, of course, i got to tell you this story. I'm at a Stockton gun show, and it was kind of a dead day. And the media is always trying to get in. Always. They this they were so bold, this report at comes walking through the front door, just ignored the ticket seller, comes walking through the front door with a cameraman 
right on her back, just following her. And she just walked straight into gun show. Well, the, the promoter stopped her and told her, uh, no filming in here. And if you want to come in, you have to buy tickets. And she got all, well, I'm the media. You're, you're First Amendment rights and blah, blah, blah. And he just said, get out. So she went out. Okay. So about 15 minutes later, this guy walks in. He walks in, pays his ticket, walks straight, straight through the door to the first table, which was one to my right. And there was a lot of customers that at that table, and he went over to an area where there wasn't no, any other customers, and he's picking up some handguns and looking at them and putting them down and picking up things and putting them down. And after a minute, he turns around and walks out. Ah, that's kind of strange. About five minutes later, another guy walks in, does the same thing, pays the money, walks straight over to this table, reaches down, picks up a little pistol. It's a twenty-five automatic, puts the muzzle in the center of his hand and pulls the trigger and the gun goes off apparently the first guy had loaded the 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 gun and put a round in the chamber and this moron got talked into coming in and shooting his hand bang and the first words out of his mouth was oh they told me it wouldn't hurt (laughs) (laughs) they were videotaping this from the outside i immediately grabbed a rag wrapped it around his hand took him in the bathroom and I, I uh, patched him up as best I could. It, it was a through and through. It didn't hit any bones or anything. It hurt like hell. And he had to go to the hospital to get it stitched up. But I put antibiotic on it and wrapped it well. And I said, did they tell you to do that? And he said, yeah. They, they, gave me, they gave me 50 bucks to come in here and pull the trigger. They, didn't t- they told me it wouldn't hurt. It's too small a gun. It's a small gun. <laughs> so we called the sheriff's department. And the sheriff came out because it was th- there's maybe... One gun show out of a thousand, there's a live round that goes off. And law enforcement is ready to jump on that, let me tell you right now. So sheriff comes out, checks everyone. I'm a, I'm an eyewitness. The guy got arrested for, for discharge of firearm in a in a state building. And the reportette and cameraman got arrested and taken to jail. I, I mean, not jail, taken to the, to the uh, sheriff's office. I don't know what happened after that. That's the kind of stuff the liberals do. They have they they have no morals in any way, shape, or form when trying to get a story. So to test a gun if it fires, I have a dowel, and it's a quarter it's a quarter inch diameter dowel, and it's about six inches long. Now, uh, one of my customer, a good friend of mine, and a customer, and a listener to the show uh, called me up and said, "Kurt, you told us years ago use a, a number two pencil with a new eraser." I said, "Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. I do that." So you, you can use a pencil, an unsharpened pencil, with a new eraser, not something that's been used because you want that flat top. And that actually works a little better. Like, let's say you're, you're, you're checking out a Beretta 92. So first, pull the magazine out, make sure it's empty, cock the hammer, point it straight up in the air, and lower the, the uh, pencil eraser first into the muzzle. Down the barrel, it'll rest on what's called the firing pin block, and then pull the trigger. What should happen is... the firing pin should hit the eraser of the pencil hard enough to knock the pencil out of the barrel. If it doesn't, then it's obviously not going to fire around. I've found dozens of handguns that the, the firing pins were broken or too short and wouldn't work. And you do the same thing with a rifle. You just, like a bolt action, right? You make sure it's empty, cock the bolt, close the bolt, aim it straight up, Lower the, uh, drop the, the pencil down, eraser first, wait, let's center it on a bolt, pull the trigger. You should, if it doesn't knock it out of the barrel, it should make a jump 
a half a foot anyway inside the barrel so you just hold it to your ear and you can tell that that's a trick that it was well known 20 30 40 years ago but nowadays people like i don't know if it fires i don't know if it works you know they don't even have the common sense to figure that one out now the other thing and i mentioned this before is this the original let's say you're you're buying yeah you know you always want the best for the best bang for your buck so you're going to buy a handgun you want the best quality you can get and you want it to come with all of the paperwork at in the original box now here's why if it's collectible collectors always want the boxes when i closed my gun shop down in 05 i had hundreds of original boxes people would say i want to buy that gun and i don't want the box okay i'm not going to argue and i keep the boxes i ended up selling the boxes on ebay because people wanted that box like a sig sour box nine millimeter uh the guy has one but he doesn't have a box for it and he wants to sell his gun and it sells better faster and for a little more money if he has a box for it, the original box so if you buy a gun save your box find some place put the box somewhere where it's not going to get high humidity or destroyed or, or what have you because those boxes can bring help you bring top dollar when you if you turn around and sell your gun so you look for the original box and you, you look at the serial number on the firearm then look at the serial number on the box make sure they're original and you ask the guy what is it does this come with a holster does this come with ammo does this come with a cleaning kit what does it come with you ask him because you're going to need all that if he has it fine if not no big deal now here's the here's the other thing do you really need that i know some people can say what are you what are you crazy nobody needs guns they want them yes well i understand but let's say you're you're uh, law enforcement and you you need to buy a duty weapon. Okay, well there's a need there. Do you need a carry gun right now or do you have one that'll work or do you, is this one going to be better for you? you? You have to look at your needs and wants. If you're in a dangerous situation and and there's a restraining order out on somebody who's threatened to kill you, well you're definitely going to need a gun. So determine whether you need it. Whether you want it, you've already figured that one out. And now determine whether you need it. If it's your last dollar, I refuse to sell firearms to people at gun shows. I've had man and woman come up, and they're in their 20s, and they've just moved into a place in San Francisco, and they were afraid of, of uh, all the neighbors around the neighborhood because they were all thugs. First thing I said, you need to move. And the second thing I said, well, you need to buy a pump shotgun. They were talking to each other, and I could hear them. The man say to the girl, uh, uh, "We can we can talk the landlord into you know holding off for a couple of weeks for the for the rent." And I said, "Look, no, I'm not going to sell you a firearm because I refuse to take somebody's last dollar. I won't do it." So instead, uh, I sold him a, a a big canister of pepper spray and taught them exactly how to use it and you know the whole nine yards. So that only cost him twenty five bucks as opposed to two hundred dollars. Is this that you're looking at buying a good value? Let's say you want to go deer hunting. So you're looking at a, a Savage bolt-action rifle with a 3 to 9 power scope on it, a sling, and a, uh, a gun case put it in. Just a standard 30-06 bolt-action rifle. And the guy says, this is a hell of a deal. It's only 500 bucks." And you look at that, and then you think back, because what do you do before you buy a gun is you do your own due diligence and find out what they sell for. And if you have the Blue Book of Gun Values, you can look it up there, or... You can remember that you walked into Cabela's and saw the same gun for $379 with a scope, with a sling, with a case. So this is what you need to figure out. Is this a good value? On the other hand, I've seen people in an emergency situation spend $100 more than something was worth. 
I had a Detonics. Uh, it was a handmade 45 ACP. It was a cut-down version of a Colt 1911A1. And I was I was selling it for $375. And this was in, uh, I think, Santa Rosa. Saturday, early Sunday, nobody cared about it. Finally, I said, you know, I'm just... And everybody's coming by, especially the other dealers. I'll give you $350 for that. that that's not worth that much. It's just some handmade gun. It's not no big deal. Well, I happen to have known what it was. And I got pissed off in the middle of uh, oh, about 11 o'clock Sunday. So I took the tag down and put it put a $500 price tag on it. And then I went to get lunch for us. When I came back, the gun's gone. I go, what happened? Oh, guy bought it. I go, well, a guy bought it? I jacked the price up. And she said that a guy walked in the front door, walked directly over the table, said he was a pilot for United Airlines, a uh, uh, private, uh, what do you call it, uh, corporate pilot. And he was authorized to carry a gun, and they, they required him to carry a small footprint, large caliber handgun. And the detonic is it. It's 45 ACP. And the guy goes, looked at, and this is my wife telling me this. The guy looked at it and said, my God, the last one I saw was 750 bucks at a gun shop. $500, you bet. And of course, all the dealers around there that are trying to lowball me on a thing was, huh? So the guy was willing to pay price because he needed it right now. So sometimes that's what you're going to need to figure out. So anything that you're buying, you make sure there's no broken parts on it, unless you know how to replace the parts. Personally, I wouldn't even waste my time if I were you. Me, as a trained gunsmith, that's a whole different ball of wax. I can waste my time. I have bought, we had a sign in our Modesto stores that says, I buy everything, and I do. People would bring in double-barrel shotguns that, uh, they were 40-inches barrels, and the last six inches were blown back like a peeled banana. I'd buy it. i cut them down to 18 and a half inches. But I bought those. So many guns, people would bring and buy them for 20 30 bucks because I'd tear them down and take the internal parts and save them to repair better quality firearms in, at a future date. And that's standard procedure for most gunsmiths. So you, you, just, you need to determine what you want. You need to determine uh, what you need, how much money you want to spend, uh, where you want to get it, because there's ramifications for all of them. Now, I'm in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. 30 miles west of me is Spokane, Washington. Two different states, right? Idaho, Washington. Now, according to the uh, the organization that wants to cease all civilian firearm sales, the ATF, you can go into a contingent state, meaning a state that's touching your state, and you can buy and sell long guns, rifles and shotguns. So if, if you want a, a hunting gun and you don't want anything with paper, just jump over the state line, go to the gun show, buy yourself a rifle, you're fine. You may not buy or sell handguns across state lines. Yeah, explain that one to me. Also, explain to me, if you get a federal firearms license, why isn't it good federally and just in the state that you have the license in, the address of your business? Yeah, they can't explain that either. So be aware of the local laws, requirements. Don't do anything shady or nefarious. I mean, that's my recommendation. You can do what you want. My recommendation is, is, is toe the line when you're purchasing a firearm because law enforcement and the government, and I mean city, county, state, federal, they make their money off of schmucks who don't pay attention to the law. Be, be aware of what you buy, where you buy it, who you buy it from. And I'll tell you, the idea of getting a receipt can save your butt. When my wife and I first got married, I wanted a little a little handgun just to defy, defend ourselves when we were driving, when we were out, because I lived in, in Hollyweird. 
So I bought a little 25 automatic. It's not the caliber. It's bullet placement. Let me, t- let me assure you on that. So I bought this little gun, and I got a receipt. And it was, it was from a, uh, a black woman. I bought it from a black woman in uh, Hawthorne. And she, she, said, you, she, she said, honey, you, I'm giving you a receipt, and you make sure you hang on to this receipt as, for the, as long as you live. So I said, okay. So I bought the gun, put the receipt in an envelope, put it in my safe. Sure enough, 20 years, and I, then I sold this thing 10 years later. 20 years after I bought that little pistol, the FBI shows up, and they say, well, we tracked the gun to you. Uh, it ended up being used in a, in a murder robbery in uh, Englewood, California. So what did you do with that gun? So I showed him my receipt, and I showed him the receipt that I had got from the gentleman that I'd sold the gun to. And, the, and the, it was an older gentleman who collected these little twenty five automatic pistols. Mine, went, mine had been a Colt, probably made about 1930. And his house had been robbed. So somebody stole the gun. So that's what they do. They they have uh, the the FBI tracks and the ATF every firearm that's found in a commission of a crime. They want its hierarchy. They track it back like you wouldn't believe. They know where it's manufactured. They know the date it's manufactured. They know the name of the manager who issued the serial number, and they follow it all the way forward. So just be aware when you buy a firearm, there is a a uh, hierarchy or or there's a, a a footprint that's been following that firearm up to you it depends on your mood and the law if you want any any uh, paperwork from when you buy it so that's all i can think of right now of how to buy a firearm any questions on that you guys just get a hold of me at the bottom of uh, armchairsurvivalist.com there's a email address i'll be more than happy to answer any questions and i'll tell you nowadays if you let's say you buy a Remington 870 pump shotgun, okay, you get a hell of a deal on it, and you want to know how to fix it or repair it or refinish it, go to YouTube. It tells you everything. Hell, you don't even need to go to school anymore to be a gunsmith. You get a weird gun that you don't know what it is, go on YouTube. I bet you somebody's got a picture of it there and how to tear it down. That should be enough information to get you guys started on buying a firearm. And just remember the simple basics. You need to be trained so that you understand the safety of firearms themselves. There's only two rules to safe firearm handling. Rule number one, there's no such thing as an empty gun, period. So if somebody, if you're looking at a gun, somebody hands you this, this handgun, and they say, well, I've already checked it to see if it's empty. What's rule number one? There's no such thing as an empty gun. Open it and check it. Rule number two, never point a firearm of any kind at something you don't want to put a hole in. You know, if you don't want to put a hole in that piece of paper, don't point the gun at it. You don't want to put a hole in that wall, your wife, the dog, a window, don't point the gun at it. Keep it down. You see a lot of people, hold the guns up. Well, um, what goes up must come down. So if you stupidly pull that trigger and that bullet goes up, it comes down. And in Muslim countries, because Muslims are mostly insane, and they stick their rifles in the air and pull off thousands of rounds to celebrate stuff, hundreds of people die every month from bullets falling on top of them. So don't do anything stupid. Just remember the two rules. Anyway, uh, give me a call if you want to order something. SurvivalEnterprises.com, SE1.US. You can call us at 800-753-1981. Direct line, 310-295-9686. 
keep your nose in the air and your ear to the ground. And every show, I'm going to say this, situational awareness. Be aware of everything around you. That's 360 degrees. Be aware. We are at war. We have the, we have the enemies within the gate. And they have no compassion whatsoever. Be aware of what's going on. I'll see you next time.